Marie Ortenberger, and you're listening to Echoes, a production of Great Lakes Echo. Scott Atkinson loves Flint, Michigan. He spent most of his life in and around it. As a freelance journalist and a professor at University of Michigan Flint, he's also done a lot of writing about it. When the city made national headlines for its water crisis, Atkinson noticed patterns in the coverage that he thought ignored the city's complexity. He wasn't sure he could contribute anything to the conversation, though, until he was given the task by Belt Magazine, a publication with his crosshairs on the Rust Belt. That's when he delved into stories from the middle, stories not about Flint's troubles, but in the context of those troubles. Atkinson's edited a collection of these stories titled Happy Anyway, a Flint Anthology. The book came out recently via Belt Magazine's publishing arm. I spoke with Atkinson about his ties to the city and the task of anthologizing Flint, Michigan. I guess the first thing I want to talk about is just your connections with the city of Flint. Uh, Can you just tell us about how long you've lived there and um, any other connections you have with the place? Yeah, so uh, I grew up outside of Flint. uh on a 20-minute drive, uh, about halfway to MSU, actually, from Flint. And I started hanging out there when I was 17, and I started taking martial arts lessons um, at this place on the east side of Flint. It was kind of this uh, run-down building with this old punching bag in the corner with duct tape around the middle. And I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Um, but that was kind of my introduction to the city, and... Uh, a couple of years later, I was in college, and there was this local tabloid, uh, it's like an alternative uh, weekly paper, alternate monthly actually, called The Uncommon Sense, and I picked it up, and I was, you know, studying journalism at the time, and I saw this paper, and I'm like, oh my god, this is, this is cool. And I got a hold of the editor, and uh, he wanted to work with me, and I started doing stories for them, and from there, uh, I just was kind of always around Flint, I started to fall in love with it. I, uh, my first, um, full-time reporting job was for the Flint Journal. I, uh, I covered everything from the surrounding suburbs to education and later on entertainment feature writing. And that was great because I just, again, got to kind of go around and explore the city. And, um, uh, I left, but, uh, the journal, but I, I'm continuing to freelance about Flint and I, I teach at the University of Michigan Flint, teach writing and journalism. And, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's just a place that, uh, despite what some people, you know, say about our space problems, you just kind of, like so many people, I, I just fall in love with it. And so, I know that, um, in putting together this anthology, there were a number of ways that you, you didn't want to capture Flint. Um, can you describe those? Yeah, so, um, it wasn't so much that there were ways I didn't want to capture it, but it was more that I wanted to show Flint for the complicated and nuanced, uh, city that it is. So I didn't want to pretend like there wasn't a water crisis. I didn't want to pretend there was no, um, you know, loss of uh, the auto industry. Uh, I just, um, I wanted people to know that there's more to the city than the sort of grand narrative that everyone knows about. Um, when I kept telling this, the writers, uh, when they would reach out to me for, you know, what are you looking for? And I said, you know, the, uh, everything Flint's going through isn't, isn't the story I'm looking for. That is the setting in which. 
who contributed to this anthology and what connections do they have to Flint? There, there are a lot of people who still live in the city. I think I mean, everyone has some kind of connection. They live there, they do live there, moved away. Um, which I think is great because there are a lot of stories about what it means to stay in a place like Flint where it can be time to stay. And there are stories about what it means to leave and about what it means to come back. Um, there are uh, our youngest contributors, 18, and um, I, I don't know how old our oldest contributors are, and they probably wouldn't want me to share that anyway. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, it, it's quite a spectrum. So um, you know, it's diverse in terms of you know, gender and race and age. And I was just so happy to have all these um, all these different voices in there. That was one thing I really wanted was a variety of voices because I didn't want it to represent only part of the city. Um, you know, one of my fears is I didn't want to be like the downtown Flint the downtown because uh, I love downtown Flint. I hang up there and work there all the time. But I think that's one of the, another one of the uh, frustrations for me is if people aren't talking about the doom and gloom of Flint, then they're only talking about the great things happening downtown and sort of ignoring some of the, uh, the very early issues that we can't forget about. And so we've just got such a variety. I mean, there are stories that are uh, about the city's history and how they still affect the present in really interesting ways. Um, there are stories just about you know uh, what it means to leave a house. Um, Layla, who's our uh, youngest contributor, I talked about. She writes this just beautiful story about having her bike stolen and uh, how her stepdad went and got it back for her one day and uh, lied to her and told her the police got it. Because he didn't want her growing up thinking she lived in a place where the police didn't help you. So, uh, yeah, there are just uh, so many different connections to the city. I uh, I just was so pleased with um, the variety of stories that came in. So, has editing this anthology kind of changed the way that you understand Flint? Yeah, I think uh, it's allowed me to to understand the city a little bit more. Actually, I think that's... uh, that's good for me, um, just A, as someone who cares, and B, as a journalist. I think with a place like Flint, that has so much stigma attached to it, if you wanted to get it right, you really have to do the work and put the time in. So I was, I was really pleased to, uh, yeah, not just, you know, proud of the book, but I mean, to have stuff in there that, uh, I didn't know existed and to be able to bring, you know, these stories that I didn't know or maybe never would have found otherwise, um, What kind of extra work do you have to do to make sure you're getting Flint right? I think you just uh, you just need to, to listen and pay attention. I think it's really easy to get caught up in the cliches. You know, it's um, uh, I think it's one reason there's a, a piece early on called Paragraph of Duke, which Lord Young, who's written about Flint um, a lot, he uh, we were joking when I was trying to, I was bugging him about contributing, you know, telling him he had to do something basically trying to guilt him into it. And he made a joke about how much time he had to spend, you know, writing the two-sentence paragraph in his speech from the New York Times, trying to wrap Flint's history in a nutshell. You know, there's always that paragraph when, and that's the problem is I don't, I don't blame a lot of journalists because, you know, you only have so much space you can't give, you know, the history of an entire city in every single piece. And so how do you sum up, you know, the hard scrabble town that's trying to get back up on its feet? You know, you got to try to boil this down into two sentences or a sentence. Mm-hmm. And he says... Uh, you know, what would be really funny is that I just took all those sentences I've written, I strung them together in a paragraph. And he ended up uh, using his own and other similar sentences he found from 
other news stories, some good, some not so good, into like this uh, 500-word piece all annotated, you know, trying to trying to describe Flint in one sentence. And it's not because they're extra one, it's just funny. But for two, I think it represents the challenge of that that thing of, you know, how, how to get it right or what it looks like when you don't get it right. So I think, I think it's just a matter of paying attention. Um, and, and really listening to people and um, I think even the best journalists sometimes can get caught up in that uh, mistake of thinking you know the story before you really get started. Who do you hope will read this anthology? That's a great question uh, because uh, some people have been surprised when I told them that well, I certainly want local people to read this because I think it can help them learn more about their city and uh, but I think for a lot of it, it gets to be kind of serves as an affirmation. You know, yes, these are our stories, and yes, we are more than just cars and water. But the audience I really wanted in this book was outsiders. Uh, I really want people outside the city to um, to get their hands on this because there's so much attention on Flint right now that if it's something you want to read about uh, and know about, I think this is a, a great a great book to read. Um, because it shows you the other sides of Flint. And I don't mean that in some sort of cliche, you know, there's two sides to every story. You know, there, there are many, many sides to Flint. This book shows a lot of them. And um, for a city that's in the news for just one or two things, which needs to be in the news, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but um, there's also frustration that with uh, wishing people understood a city a little bit more before being formed to pretty strong opinions about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jennifer Nelson, one of her essays, talks about when Rachel Maddow said, is Flint even happening anymore? Mm-hmm. And it's like it's a tough thing to hear because so many Flint people I know were really appreciative of the way Rachel Maddow brought a lot of attention to Flint. But then a question like that, you know, if you're watching that, you know, if you watch that at like uh, the Torch or Saudi Bottom Bar downtown, mm-hmm. you'd be sitting there thinking, what are you talking about? Where is this? <laughs> we're in downtown Flint where it's great safe and there's, you know, we're all just hanging out in these uh, wonderful places and what do you mean is it even habitable? Like, there's, of course it is. Um, so it's, uh, it needs to be caught up in that kind of thing. So I really wanted outsiders to read the book and I wanted to be a chance for people to kind of gain a, a deeper understanding of the city. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because like, of course, the crisis itself is just important to cover and look at, but so much of what that all means is dependent on the context that preceded it. So you can't really fully understand what's happening without knowing what happened before and kind of understanding the dynamic of the city. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. It's, uh, you know, I've written a lot with the water crisis of freelancer and originally I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to feel like I was capitalizing on a tragedy. There was, um, so many journals covering it already. I didn't feel like I, you know, I needed to add anything. Um, and then my editor at Belt Magazine, Belt, as you published the anthology, you know, they, uh, Martha called me up and she said, you know, we're, we're the Rust Belt magazine, like, you know, we, we got to have something. So I thought, you know, okay, what story can I tell here? And I found um, Pastor Bobby, this guy, uh, Bobby Jackson, who runs the shelter on the north side. And he really um, represented the story I wanted to tell because he was someone who was acutely aware that, you know, while Flint has its current disaster, the water crisis, um, it had other crises that preceded this that were incredibly serious. 
stuck in the city because of the water crisis or something. And if we get this water thing figured out, which it is not figured out yet, I think a lot of people think it is, it's not, um, those problems will remain. And I wanted to make that very clear because I'm, I'm glad to see Flint get the help that it has gotten so far in this water crisis, but you know, this water crisis isn't a, uh, an issue that just came out of nowhere. This is, this is the result of what happens when you, um, you know, let a great city start to crumble. So the title of the anthology is Happy Anyway, and I think that concept is really interesting. Um, how does happiness manifest itself in the stories in the anthology? I think that's a, a great question. So the first time I used that, that term, Happy Anyway, and I thought of it before, but it was in my story that I was talking about with Pastor Bobby, I described him as being the only kind of happy you can be in front sometimes, which is that so much that you're happy, but that you're happy anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think, you know, it, it's a great question, because I think it manifests itself in a lot of ways. My buddy Eric Woodyard, uh, he's a sports writer for the journal, uh, the Flint Journal, and he wrote about the murder of his best friend. He's outside of my club, and time and somebody robbed him and ended up shooting and uh Eric was there last night and his family was there and his friend's cousin was there and uh he got to read something because uh his mom yelled at me and made sure that I let her baby read something <laughs> <That's pretty laughs> fun. um but we're at the, the launch party last night and uh you see Eric and, and he is a happy guy um he's doing a lot of great things he started a foundation for kids only think he's 30 at 30 at scholarship fund for kids and a documentary for kids about what it takes to make it so you're right that it just ends up manifesting itself in all these different ways i i think i described in my introduction of somewhere else as uh an earned happiness a thought for happiness it's uh it's the kind of um happiness where things aren't being taken for granted because you know if you know what struggle looks like, and the people very much do, um, then, uh, you know, the happiness you find is, uh, I don't know, I think there's something special to that, to being happy anyway. Yeah. Maybe, like, that kind of happiness is acknowledged a little more. Like, it's a little more obvious when it's present because because it's absent more often, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's it. I think it's just... Uh, you know, in spite of it all, in spite of Flint, in spite of uh, all the problems, um, you know, people are still happy. Again, we, we launched the book last night, so I came out of bar, and we were all certainly happy. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a good time. Cool. Well, I'm excited to pick up and read it, and I'm really grateful that you took the time to talk with me this morning. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This podcast was recorded, edited, produced, etc. by myself, Marie Ortenberger. Pottington Bear provided the music. Thanks for listening.